so we're continuing with session 83 law of one was received April 5 1982 uh, 35 years ago we ended last time at 83 8 after going through a very important um, teaching from rod 83 7 about the nature of life review after an incarnation I mean, what actually is reviewed, uh, and how's it done, what is a life review? Uh, obviously, it's a very common theme in lots of um, near-death experience, like Howard Storm, and literature. I mean, there, there are many movies talking about this kind of thing, too. And uh, what is it? Uh, understanding it, I just want to take another pass very quickly, because I... I could get too lost in the details and the ramifications of this kind of deep answer and take too much time, but uh, understanding life review after death, the, the after death life review, has bearing on understanding the purpose of incarnation, what it is that's being reviewed, what are we here for, why are we, you know, what, what are the purposes of incarnation that are reviewed after death. So Ra said 83.7, that um, the nature of time-space, meaning after death, astral plane, is such that a whole lifetime can be seen as a book or a record, to see whole as a unified, as a whole story. Uh, pages studied, riffled through, and reread, meaning one can go into high detail, as I said last time, like uh, not only my mindset and your mindset, uh, in any interaction during the lifetime being reviewed, but also consequences on your mind and my mind and your action and your life and mine um, after that interaction can also be reviewed. But Ra calls this review, the value of this, quote, review, is more of a testing than a studying. It's not, you know, this is where the limitation of words comes in. It's not just like, let's look at the life and see what happened. It's actually, let's look at the life and review what happened at much deeper levels than we see it now. And by that deeper looking, uh, evaluate how we did on the test. So the value of the life review is that of the testing as opposed to studying it's not just it's not really studying what happened it's reviewing what happened as um, as a, as the the revelation or the revealing of of a of uh, a performance on a test testing performance the the life as a test being reviewed um the what's being seen is our testing performance how we did during the life test and then at the testing or life review which reveals what happened in the life that reveals how well we did Ra's calling that distillations of all study are made clear the study is what happened before the lifetime or the basis of why the the basis of our testing performance so how we do in our life what we do in our decisions in our life um, have multiple consequences and those decisions and actions that we take during the life can be seen as a testing performance or performance in a test life as test how we did the quality of the performance how we did on the test actually um, reveals um, the deeper conditions of mind or uh, development um, associated with with, uh, what came before the life and where we are now. And so the distillations of study, so it's a a review um, observing life experience or life activity as testing performance to distill (laughs) how well we've done but also where we're at, uh, what distortions were um, dissolved, which were avoided, which were um, you know 
aggravated. And so Ra's saying that the study, the incarnation could be called a study. <clears throat> um, meanwhile, um, during the lifetime, our awareness of the process um, is not very um, deep in terms of understanding purpose, but material is diffused and overtension invariably inevitably placed on detail. So we get hung up in the details, like uh, I have a knee pain. Well, I went to the doctor, and the doctor said it's my meniscal tendon uh, inflammation, da 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 something, something. But uh, the deeper meaning or symbolic um, significance of that particular injury is not seen. Then one can look at how, how it developed, or what one did with it, and its basis after death. It could be known during life, but most people don't get into significance level. Um, so it's, it's a funny, to me, the use of words here is a little bit funny because, uh, the incarnation is called a study and the life review is called a testing, but it seems to me like the review is a study of the testing performance of an incarnation. (laughs) Uh, I'm sure somebody can see this in a different way that I don't, uh, the life review, quote, testing upon in cessation of incarnative state is not, so it's a certain kind of testing. So here you get raw, basically using our words in a different way uh, and having to qualify exactly how they're using these words like testing. So it isn't the testing, raw said, that involves memorization of details, so we know it's not, you know, testing recall. <clears throat> it's observing. <laughs> so I don't know how observing is a testing, but observing uh, after la- after life, uh, you know, in the life review, after death, uh, because there is no death, there's just leaving this body in this dimension. But this, quote, testing of review is observing self by self, obviously that's reviewing, with aid, meaning there are other beings helping. What's seen is the sum of study. <laughs> <clears throat> so it's a testing that observes study. So, you know, you know, the, the, Rod, there's something wrong with them sometimes, frankly, in that they, they really are too alien and um, didn't, didn't really explain this so well in my limited understanding. So here we see life review as a kind of testing that is a self-observation where one is seeing the sum of study. So it's a testing, observing the sum of study. Uh, so an incarnation as a study. So from higher self, it's a study. Or higher self watching the incarnation is, is studying what happened, but also studying uh, <clears throat> uh, where we were and where we are and how we got there. The performance during the life as testing performance or, or study performance. <laughs> how much the higher self has learned before the incarnation. So the higher self is observing itself as well. But certainly, uh, in the life review comes observation of attitude or complex of attitudes which bias consciousness of, you know, of oneself. So the, uh, the longing for love, the avoidance of love, uh, high self, you know, low self-esteem or healthy self-esteem. Um, these are kind of deep mind biases they're they're associated with core beliefs and values so at the at the root of what we do is how we're thinking and at the root of how we're thinking are uh, is usually core beliefs and values what we really value and what we really think about ourselves and the world and um, you know again what's important and what's not so Don makes an analogy, 83.8, and I, we went over it last time. <clears throat> it's like, you know, a training pilot, and uh, we're talking about the prevailed condition. But that's different than what we're talking about here, because we're talking about what's seen in life review now, after veiling. And so let's start with the new material at 83.9. This is more about before the veil. 
Don asks, now, before the veil, an entity would be aware that he's experiencing a disease. So we're going to take a, talk about disease before and after veil. As an example, would you give me, if you're aware of a case, of a disease an entity might experience prior to the veil, and how, we, how he would react to this, and think about it, and what effect it would have on him in a complete sense, would you, could you give me an example, please? Um, Don is sometimes simple, simply thinking here. Uh, Ross says, Inasmuch as the universe is composed of an infinite array of entities, there is also an infinite infinity of response to stimulus. If you will observe your peoples, you will discover greatly variant responses to the same distortion towards disease. Consequently, we cannot answer your query with any hope of making any true statements since the overgeneralizations required are too capacious. Capacious means spacious, meaning there are too many. <clears throat> now, um, Don drops that, but um, so Don, Don, you know, we can see his own psychology or bias, which may be that um, a single answer uh, that that, that uh, single answers are even possible. Single causal, you know, identification of a single cause or purpose or, perp or reason is even possible, which it really isn't, actually. And so, what would an entity before and after the veil experience in terms of disease? Well, it seems to me that, that there was no disease prior to the veil, like there isn't in four D positive. In fourth density, there is no disease. There are distortions at levels of mind-spirit, but not body, I believe, from what Ross said. Before the veil, likewise, I think, no disease. But um, uh, they would <clears throat> die in third density before the veil. And today, obviously, people have countless responses to disease, or any stimulus. So, greatly variant responses to the same distortion towards disease, or greatly variant responses to any stimulus, of course infinity of responses to stimulus. And so that that's also why it's very, um, why the question and answer uh, approach is safer rather than the uh, monologuing uh, to in, in terms of helping others and why uh, responding to call <clears throat> or waiting to be clear what the person wants or let the person consciously state what they want or where they're coming from before we rush to help anyone, certainly rushing to help is not helpful, or often isn't. There are emergent conditions when it is, of course, but um, mm, <clears throat> um, people, just because we're clear doesn't mean they're clearly receiving. And just because we think we do, and maybe we do indeed see a person's problem or need, they may be unwilling they may be unwilling and unable to see it and not want to see it even and not want to address what we feel is true which may be true that we think they ought to address so we can get into a lot of trouble um, not taking into account this infinity of response to stimulus including uh, people's opinion of us or are um, seeking to be of help 8310 Don goes, was there any uniformity or like functions of societies or social organizations prior to the veil? Ross said, this is an interesting comment on 3D social structure. Ross said, the third density is, by its very fiber, a societal one. There are societies wherever there are entities conscious of the self and conscious of other selves and possessed with intelligence adequate to process information indicating the benefits of communal blending of energies. The structures of society, before as after veiling, were various. However, the societies before veiling did not depend in any case upon the intentional enslavement of some for the benefit of others, <clears throat> this not being seen to be a possibility when all are seen as one. There was, however, the requisite amount of disharmony to produce various experiments in what you may call governmental or societal structures. So, number one, 3D by its very nature is um, social, societal. And that's why most people uh, take the crowd to be their teacher, as Heraclitus said. That's why most people 
are very uh, susceptible to praise and blame, honor and dishonor, <clears throat> fame. Fame means uh, everybody loves me, or lots of people like me, or approve of me. Most people like that. You know, Facebook, <laughs> Twitter. So lots and lots of people are saying, look at me, look at me. That's the societal nature. That's that They have their own psychodynamic process. But uh, this is a very social condition, more so than animals, even more than second density, because there's consciousness of self and other, or other self, though that's third density, third chakra consciousness, self-consciousness. Animals are just conscious, but not self-conscious. And... Um, <clears throat> society can be called uh, communal blending of energies, uh, communalism, collectivity, collectiveness. And uh, before the veil, there were many different kinds of structures or social uh, configurations, like now, too, then, also. Uh, before the veil, particular, because they knew, Ross said, all are seen as one, it's not just seeing, it's knowing. Seeing, feeling, hearing, <laughs> knowing, and therefore living the reality that all is one. Um, not just intellectually thinking it sometimes, <laughs> but moment-to-moment uh, -moment experientially living it. When that's the case, then um, the individual won't, won't intentionally won't seek intentional enslavement of others and social structures won't be formed for the purpose of intentional enslavement of others today <laughs> as we've been talking about before with the uh, Dr. Day material of 1969 and the Yuri Bezmanov material uh, to G. Edward Griffin about the demoralization agenda we see uh, much uh, effort towards intentional enslavement of humanity by its leadership by establishing and modifying social structures to bring people to the point where they enslave themselves. And <clears throat> um, that kind of thing wasn't happening before the veil. Um, and doesn't happen, or service to self can't happen to the degree um, that we live the reality of, of unity to the extent that we know all is one, really know it. Um, naturally we don't want to hurt anybody because hurting you is hurting me in real time it's felt, experienced in real time so then yet there was some heart disharmony and so the requisite amount of disharmony to produce experiments in government so government is the result of disharmony <laughs> yes indeed and uh, these here make more disharmony <clears throat> because they're run by STS folks but that was logoic de decree by logoic design, um, uh, service of self-oriented 3D souls are allowed to come here to Earth during this 3D cycle. And so, <laughs> the talk, you know, it's like I said, uh, if you've got a program, if you got a problem, uh, take it to the logos. 8311. Don says, in our present illusion. We have undoubtedly lost sight of techniques of enslavement that are used since we are so far departed from the prevail experience. I'm sure that many with service to others orientation are using techniques of enslavement even though they are not aware these these are techniques of enslavement simply because they have been evolved so over they have been evolved over so long a period of time and we are so deep in the illusion. Is this not correct? Ross said it is incorrect. Sometimes I don't understand Don's mind. <clears throat> um, but you see, uh, you know, things weren't, I guess, as enslave, enslavement-rich in the social uh, structure in uh, 35 years ago, but not much less. But anyway, whatever he said, it's not clear to me, but it's not correct to Ra. Um, but it, the... the point that Ra pulls out, or Don, Don focuses on, is positively oriented people um, oppressing, suppressing, enslaving, taking advantage of others unwittingly, um, and how that's happening. 83.12, Don goes from, um, you know, uh, 
we've lost sight of techniques of enslavement, which doesn't seem right. Then Ross saying, no, that's not quite right, goes to, then you are, then you say there are no cases where those who are service to others oriented are using in any way techniques of enslavement that have grown as a result of the evolution of our social structures. This is what you mean? <clears throat> Ra doesn't mean that either. Ross saying, it was our understanding that your query concerned conditions before the veiling. There was no unconscious slavery, as you call this condition at that period. At the present space-time, meaning now, the condition of well-meant and unintentional slavery are so numerous that it beggars our ability to enumerate them, the path to hell paved with good intentions. Well-meant, uh, unwitting, um, unintentional enslavement. It doesn't, you know, enslavement is... is the full, you know, uh, cap, capstone of the goal of negatives and um, any kind of manipulation control activity. So we're not just talking about that. We're talking about people taking advantage of each other. I mean, basically, uh, you know, Ashila, breaking uh, virtue morality, uh, deliberate lying uh, to get advantage or to prevent some harm to self. Um, in the way of taking advantage for gain of self over another. Uh, harsh speech, malicious speech intended to damage or da and take down other. Uh, stealing and taking what's not given. A fraudulent transaction, uh, which, uh, which is very common. It's the basis of the financial system today. Uh, physical harming and murder, which is, uh, you know... <laughs> in the air, in the water, in the food, in foreign policy, in uh, corporate policy, uh, intelligence agencies, government, uh, judicial, prison system. Sadism is widespread today. Uh, but Ra's talking about uh, goodly people, or Ra, Don you know, was talking about service to others oriented, positively oriented, people um, unwittingly um, enslaving or oppressing or dominating or seeking to control others. And Ra said, yes, before the veil, this unconscious slavery or unintended slavery or unintended manipulation control didn't happen because there was um, no veil. <laughs> so people saw things clearly. They saw their own intentions clearly. They weren't conflicted, psychologically conflicted. Didn't happen. Therefore, no disease. But now, um, Ra seems to say that it's massive condition of well-meant unintentional slavery. So numerous, it beggars our ability, meaning our ability to enumerate them um, and explain the, the quantity quality of this occurring uh, is impoverished <laughs> by um, how many would need to be uh, enumerated and how common it is. And so that's um, unintended harming, controlling, manipulating. It happens all the time. All the time. And um, the antidote is uh, morality. Panchashila. <laughs> Try to reflect what harmlessness or ahimsa means. What is harmlessness? Do you care? 83.13 in brackets. Then for a service to others, polar-oriented entity... At this time, meditation upon the nature of these little expected forms of slavery might be productive in polarization. I would think, am I correct? Ross well, said, you're quite correct. Um, you see, yeah, anyway. Um, <clears throat> so he's really saying, for a person who's positively oriented, meditation upon the nature of these little expected forms of slavery, I would rather call them uh, unconscious, unintended, um, unrecognized forms of manipulation, control, oppression, taking advantage of other. Uh, unintended, unwitting, unconscious, unrecognized harm done to other and self. Yes, meditation upon this is would be very helpful. Don goes on. Uh, I would say that a very high percentage of the laws and restrictions within what we call our legal system are of a nature of enslavement, of which I just spoke. Would you agree with this? 
And um, I totally agree. <laughs> uh, Raw, being um, very careful um, and uh, having a bigger view, explains in some way the history of, of law, the, the historical basis of law formation, the formation of law. So 83.14, Raw says, It is a necessary balance to the intention of law, which is to protect, that the result would encompass an equal distortion towards imprisonment. Therefore, we may say that your supposition is correct, meaning, yes, <laughs> our legal system is of a nature uh, of enslavement or <clears throat> um, high percentage of laws and restrictions or the laws of the legal system uh, are associated with manipulation, control, um, restriction. <clears throat> Here, we're not talking about necessarily taking advantage of, but... Um, Binding uh, and and um, anti-liberty against free human human liberty it seems to me that laws should be made for um, a, a fine balance between protection and liberty, um, protecting and protecting uh, everyone from harm or injustice. Uh, and also preserving and protecting their freedom as maximally and greatly as possible. So maximal protection of individual freedom and um, wise, careful protection of all from harm. Now that may be similar to what Ross says is <clears throat> um, natural, necessary balance to the intention, necessary balance uh, in the intentions of law to protect and then this equal distortion towards imprisonment. Therefore, we say your supposition is correct, that yes, there's a high percentage of these laws that are enslaving, sort of. Raw goes on, this is not to denigrate those who, in green and blue-ray energies, sought to, sought to free a peaceable people from the bonds of chaos, but only to point out the inevitable consequences of codification of response which does not recognize the uniqueness of each and every situation within your experience. And this is, um, you know, Raw has the historical sweep available in real time and refers, I think, here to um, a, a needed uh, recognition of some of, the some of the originators of law, like Manu, the lawgiver, and... Um, you know, the, um, maybe even the Mosaic Code, Moses, um, another lawgiver, and um, whatever there was, some 1,200 years ago, there was some English law, I forgot the name of it, but something with an M, I think. <clears throat> but some of the Magna Carta, some of the, um, uh, some historical law-making has been essential for the as a foundation for civilization. Absolutely. I mean, the Mosaic Code, not too bad, but nobody follows it, obviously. <clears throat> Even the people who should be <laughs> don't. They love the they love the fruit, but not the the tree. And so, <clears throat> um, Ra is explaining how the 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 best of the lawmakers. And I would say historically, and in terms of multiple civilizations throughout time, including somebody like Confucius, <clears throat> including Gautama, who laid down rules for the monks, and, and uh, um, Hinduism has um, yama niyama, what should be done and not done. The, these are um, the, these are enlightened systems actually that that don't really restrict freedom, um, but. Uh, encourage everyone's protection of each other. And that is uh, associated with <clears throat> love, wisdom, those in green, blue, or energies, uh, with, with good intentions who did seek to free a peaceable people, meaning people who didn't want harm, people who wanted uh, peace, not people who were bent on conquest, to free them from bonds of chaos, meaning to establish laws that would establish order uh, out of chaos, <laughs> but 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 for protection, um, to protect, <laughs> not to to enslave. 
And so <clears throat> there was a very uh, holy, uh, love, wisdom, just basis of lots of law throughout many civilizations throughout all of history. It, uh, it just became perverted <laughs> over time, everywhere. Just that. But Raz is, is uh, respectful and appreciative, not denigrating of the original love-wisdom basis of much law, which is not what it is today, but it's uh, those who sought, in that, see, it's past tense, sought to free peaceable people, meaning peace-wanting, peace-loving people, from chaos. Uh, but Ra's saying <clears throat> it is uh, th this counterbalance of protection versus imprisonment um, is somewhat also an inevitable consequence for the imprisonment portion. So to some extent, <clears throat> um, when there's codification of law, law is a codification of um, proscribed behavior, behavior uh, allowed, permitted, and non-permitted behavior is proscribed or codified by law. Law is codification. The code making into a code, right? The legal code. Um, <clears throat> codification of permissible and impermissible behavior. Um, now, that inevitably is going to be associated with protection and imprisonment both. Because if you if they break the law that protects someone's free will, then they get in prison. But there's also, uh, so it's natural that, that um, protection and imprisonment represents a, a, a polarity. It's also natural, Ross seems to be saying, that uh, when there is simply um, codification of response, it's really codification of the permissible. It's really codification meaning putting to a code, um, you know, um, thou shalt not steal. Um, sounds fine, but what if um, my baby's starving and, um, you know, there's uh, hoarding, there, there's hoarding going on, there's illegal hoarding, or there's just a, a bakery with bread and, um, you know, I don't want my baby to starve. So I break the window, steal the bread, feed my baby, and he, he she survives. Um, should the person go to jail for that? Maybe there's other um, penalty that might be better, like pay it back. So, uh, <clears throat> but law as a as a whole is a codification of permissibility. Um, and Ra talks about codification of response, response being what the law specifies, what is what to be done by breaking a law. <clears throat> doesn't recognize the uniqueness of each and every situation within your experience, and that's why judges <laughs> were revered um, uh, in the old days when they were uh, worthy of reverence, or some, I guess. I guess there were some uh, goodly human authorities throughout history. Uh, <clears throat> and um, the judge would recognize the uniqueness of each situation. So... The father breaking a window, stealing a loaf of bread for the starving baby, is different than the uh, you know sixteen-year-old uh, slacker who throws uh, a rock in the window and laughs and steals the bread and tramples on it and uh, posts it on his uh, Facebook. So the, the the each situation is unique, and the non-recognition of that uniqueness of each case. Um, leads to, unfortunately, <clears throat> some kind of greater um, imprisonment or reduction of freedom and protection. So it's all very complicated, but um, law has, uh, love-wisdom-based law is very important. And hierarchy is not a problem either if it's love-wisdom-based. So, 8315, is the veil supposed to be what I would call semi-permeable? Ross said the veil is indeed so. And that's semi-permeable, that's a good way of putting it, semi-permeable. It's permeable. I mean, <laughs> permeability is semi by definition, meaning <clears throat> it's porous, meaning uh, stuff can come in and out, or there is free passage between uh, subconscious, unconscious, and conscious mind. 
somewhat. The degree of how much is the degree of permeability, thus called semi-permeable, somewhat there is um, easy intercourse or um, interplay or, or flow exchange between deep mind and conscious mind. Uh, and in many ways, the spiritual path is um, the destruction of the veil and the progress that comes as the result of progressive increase in the permeability or porosity of the veil until it comes to be known that there is no veil. 83.16, Don goes on, What techniques and methods of penetration of the veil were planned, and are there any others that have occurred other than those planned? <laughs> you know, Don, Don is a little dogmatic, <clears throat> and he's assuming that the Logos plans more stuff than happens. And Ross said, There were none planned by the first great experiment, meaning planned techniques and methods for beings to penetrate the veil. As all experiments, Ra goes on, this rested upon the nakedness of hypothesis. The outcome was unknown. It was discovered, experientially and empirically, that there were as many ways to penetrate the veil as the imagination of mind-body-spirit complexes could provide. The desire of mind-body-spirit complexes to know that which was unknown drew to them the dreaming and the gradual opening to the seeker of all of the balancing mechanisms leading to adepthood and communication with teach learners which could pierce this veil. The various unmanifested activities of the self were found to be productive in some degree of penetration of the veil. In general, we may say that by far the most vivid and even extravagant opportunities for the piercing of the veil are a result of the interaction of polarized entities. So these are all um, means by which the veil is pierced. None of them were planned. The potentials were planned, and the manifestation uh, of the potentials was the result of free will. Uh, and so this is a naked, uh, you know, a, a, a hypothesis naked situation. <laughs> um, the Logos didn't know what would happen. Now, doesn't the Logos know everything, including the future? I guess so. How could the outcome be unknown for a being of uh, absolute omniscience? I don't know. How could that be? I don't know. Ra said it wasn't. Ra said in late sixth density the outcome was unknown. Uh, I think that in eighth density they'll have a different answer. Um, I would imagine the answer is the outcome was simultaneously both unknown and fully known. I would say that's <laughs> closer to um, what the Logos would say, or an eighth density teacher would say. The outcome was both unknown and fully known. And the merger of that was uh, a naked hypothesis, meaning it wasn't all planned out what would happen and where, what to do with what happened. So the methods or techniques of penetrating the veil weren't planned by the first great experiment. Now maybe that means the early in the veiling or the veiling as a first great experiment. But in the beginning of the veiling, <clears throat> obviously um, there was some unknowability of the result. Um, and then the Logoi discovered <clears throat> by experience and by um, you know facts on the ground um, that there were many ways to penetrate the veil um, based on you know um, all the ways that 3D beings um, would seek to help themselves help themselves know <clears throat> and and this this um, you know the imagination of of mind body spirit complexes providing the various many ways to penetrate the veil. It's not quite the imagination, although I guess you can say that everything arises out of imagination. Meaning, how did <clears throat> how did um, the phenomenon of dreaming come to be? How did the phenomenon of meditation come to be? That's what Ra means by um, unmanifested activities of self. Is really solitary contemplation, meditation. I think. How did those phenomenal behaviors come to be? Well, they were thought before they were done. 
<clears throat> so that thought is uh, imagination. They were imaged before they were uh, materialized as activity or behavior, possible behavior. And so the way to pierce the veil is to seek to know the unknown. The way to pierce the veil is to seek knowing. Seeking is seeking knowing. What are you seeking? <laughs> You're seeking to know or seeking to get. They're seeking to get. But you also would be seeking to know how to get. And there's uh, lots of confusion as basis of seeking, seeking to know. But there's the seeking for improvement. Uh, you know, improved conditions. Seeking for health uh, as a response to disease. Seeking for gain in response to loss. Seeking for meaning in response to crisis or um, any kind of upset, uh, upset mind condition. Seeking understanding in, in the face of um, puzzlement. Um, seeking love in, in the you know, face of feeling um, destitute or unloved or um, bereft of, of care. But all of these forms of seeking, I think, are uh, begin with seeking to know. Seeking to know how to get. Seeking to know um, um, uh, as a means of uh, removing confusion. Uh, seeking uh, wholeness. This, these forms of seeking are seeking uh, not only to know that which is unknown, uh, but seeking... Uh, a wholeness as a response to a feeling of separation and fragmentation even the feeling of partiality I don't know there's something there I haven't incorporated or there's some um, there's something not yet um, unified or um, completed or linked or joined it may be you know the situation and meaning I don't know the meaning so anyway, um, this desire to know which was unknown, that's, the I'd say, the basis of seeking. And then that leads Drew to them dreaming, meaning the mind naturally did that. The subconscious, the dance between the subconscious potentiator of mind and the conscious uh, matrix of mind, their dance generated dreaming. And then their dance... Um, interplay uh, led by a conscious mind matrix seeking to know the unknown recognizing there is an unknown recognizing there's value or re acknowledging value to seeking to know the unknown and then making efforts or staying with that desire led to all these different balancing mechanisms also leading to adepthood uh, meaning healing and balance the, the cycle of healing that I've talked about and the balancing of green-blue, and balancing polarity, internalizing the, the polarity of your dimension, Ross said. And then also communication with teach learners, meaning out-of-body study and the interplay in ashrams and things like that, and inspiration. Uh, all of these, these different phenomena that all uh, may be used to pierce the veil were not planned, but arose naturally by a certain dance, I'd say, between uh, conscious and unconscious, where the conscious mind basically uh, value recognizes the value of um, knowing the unknown or seeking to obtain the not yet obtained. And that requires some knowing too. So, uh, Ross said uh, this: the various... <clears throat> Um, unmanifested activities of self also, I think. In fact, you see, I would say that that sentence should be in the paragraph above. <laughs> uh, so, solitary activity, unmanifested activity of self. Again, it's a shitty term, unmanifested. If I'm doing meditation alone, I'm on. this is the unmanifested self? I mean, come on. You know, this is um, used, making trouble with language. And, and, you know, okay, they're aliens, so what do you want? <laughs> That's why we're here, <clears throat> to de-alienate de ourselves, <laughs> wandering as de-alienation. Hey, hey, if you look Google for de-alienation, see who you find. Um, 
So yes, um, things done alone, activities done alone, may also be productive to penetrate the veil. Uh, you know, it, it's um, there's relationship with other also. So there's uh, seeking to know. There is um, careful attention to dreaming. There are the various balancing activities um, that lead to adepthood, right? They basically remove lower triad blockages and activate green-blue on the way to, um, you know, development and act coordination of uh, indigo ray. And out-of-body uh, communication and, in, you know, inspiration. And uh, things, activities, spiritual practices done alone. And then, uh, Ross said, the most vivid and extravagant opportunities, hey, hey, a result of interaction of polarized entities, and that's uh, meaning positive and negatively oriented entities. Like, so we, uh, the uh, 3.7 end times phase of the cycle uh, of life on Earth today gives us an extravagant opportunity for piercing the veil because of the intensity of the interaction of <laughs> the negatively oriented folks and um, we who seek love light. That's true. 83.17. Could you expand on what you mean by that interaction of polarized entities and piercing the veil? Good, good uh, pick up. Ross says, We shall state two items of note. The first is the extreme potential for polarization in the relationship of two polarized entities which have, embar which have embarked upon the service to others' path, or, in some few cases, the service to self-path. Secondly, we would note that the effect which we have learned to call the doubling effect those of like mind which together shall which together seek shall far more surely find those of like mind which together seek shall far more surely find so there are two points here and they're both um, important principles or phenomenal uh, matters um, that number one relationship I mean we're really talking about relationship here in both cases. Uh, the first is coupling, and the second is <clears throat> um, um, coordinated association. Uh, basically, um, per, uh, group um, uh, group focused, or let's just say um, a, a unified group endeavor um, for a particular goal. Uh, or polarized, coor uh, I don't know. I don't know what the right words, but maybe coordinated, uh, polarized group activity is the second. And the first is basically um, partnership on the two paths. So there's extreme potential for polarization in partnership. Why do you think the negatives are so fully attacking partnership? Why do you think there's so much attack on family? Attack on male-female relations, attack on attack on men and women, both, an attack by men on women and women on men. Why? It's because Orion wants to um, disable this extreme potential for positive polarization in the relation in two in the re in in coupled relationship. Orion wants to destroy the bonds of um, positive relationship positively oriented people coming together in partnership. So it, it, the politicization of intimacy, very disgusting. Only on this planet do you have this, I mean, you know, the Logos must be uh, happy, I guess, that we have such an extravagant flourishing of distortion here. But <laughs> it's certainly uh, not respectable. <clears throat> uh extreme potential for polarization in any partnership, two polarized entities, both paths, but particularly service to other, meaning uh, positive path, partnership. And only in a few cases po negative path partnership yields extreme potential for polarization. Normally, those, you know, negative um, negatively polarized partnerships, where both partners are negatively oriented, normally doesn't lead to <coughs> extreme uh, <clears throat> continued successful polarization for both. You're normally, um, the dominant 
really uh, suppresses the the subordinate, and so it's a true S BDSM type thing, and um, they're not playing. It's not uh, posturing and um, you know uh, kind of poseur playtime. Um, the dominant one really wants to use <laughs> and squeeze and drain and rob the subordinate, and so it's not common that both will polarize highly or pierce the veil and polarize strongly on the negative path, but one might. <clears throat> but in the case, particularly for obviously service to other or positively oriented folks who value love and love and light, there is extreme potential for polarization, which means piercing the veil. Piercing the veil is necessary for both paths entities polarization. And the basis of continued efficient use of catalyst is continued piercing the veil. Continual knowing what you don't know. Seeking what you don't have, but not particularly material seeking, uh, but mental spiritual seeking. Seeking understanding. Seeking knowing. Seeking truth. Seeking principle. Principles. So, um, there is extreme potential for polarization and piercing the veil in love-based partnership. And then there's also the doubling effect law of squares where um, uh, those who have like mind, which really means those who are on the same path, positive or negative, um, are together seeking. They uh, uh, far more surely find by seeking together. And that's Kalyana Mitra, that's the value of spiritual association. Gautama said the whole of the path is spiritual association, spiritual friendship. Meaning, uh, who, who, you hang, who you hang with, who you, who you hang around with, who you stay with, who, who, are, who your intimates are shall be your, your destiny. Your destiny is your intimates. The, the the consciousness and orientation and develop and, and qualities of seeking of your intimates, meaning your close associates, who you're close with, uh, shall be your destiny, generally, because you go with them and they go with you, and it either goes down or goes up or um, you know helps you go up or takes it down further, and so one should be real careful, and that's why you know renunciates renounce. That's why yogis, bhikkhus, sadhus, yogis, yoginis um, often go off alone. Uh, they don't want to be dragged down by, um, not by the other, but by seeking to be close to another who may not be going at the same speed or at the same ascent, same slope or gradient of ascent, <clears throat> meaning development. And there's no better or worse, but um, we very much are open systems, and we very much um, take on the qualities of the people around us. And if the people around us are um, going our way, it can be great. And if they're not, uh, we can hurt ourselves and limit ourselves greatly. So, <clears throat> but that's pretty well understood. 83.18, getting close to the end. <laughs> yes, we will have three classes on session 83. Um, it might be the la the next one, maybe the last one, because after that we get into tarot a little bit. Eighty three eighteen, Don says specifically, by what process would the first, in the first case, when two polarized entities would attempt to penetrate the veil, whether they be positive or positively or negatively oriented, specifically, by what technique would they penetrate the veil? <laughs> I don't know if there's one single technique but there may be a principle that was uh, originally used or something. Um, the universe is, is um, less structured and, and top-down ordered than, than he might thought, than, than some people think. So I'm not sure there was, you know, the, the, the God, God doesn't command and, and demand as much as we think or may feel comfortable imagining it, him, her doing. Anyway, Ra 8318 says, The penetration of the veil may be seen to begin to have its roots in the, in the gestation of green ray activity. 
that all-compassionate love which demands no return. If this path is followed, the higher energy centers shall be activated and crystallized until the adept is born. Within the adept is the potential for dismantling the veil to a greater or lesser extent that all may be seen again as one. The other self is primary catalyst in this particular path to the piercing of the veil, if you would call it that. You see, the veil is really not real. Um, it's not substantially real. It's mayic. It's illusory. It's experientially quite real, but um, it's not substantial. Like uh, self or aham, uh, ego, is uh, experientially real. Sure. Me, 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 is a big ego. Uh, experientially real, but metaphysically uh, empty, or essentially insubstantial. And that's why Ra even says, you know, piercing of the veil, if you would call it that, knowing that there really isn't a thing there, but it's a, it's a chimera. <laughs> it's a mirage. But the mirage persists for as long as the higher centers are not activated. So as the higher centers are activated, the mist the mist, like a fog, actually, the fog dissipates, and it's seen as um, having been e e insubstantial, essentially, from the start, but believed in, and operative, and uh, experientially real. So, then, uh, how is it that veil is pierced? Well, and we've got to understand ch seven chakra activity, right? Talking about a veil is a qualitative way of talking about, you know, development of mind-body-spirit complex. Mind-Body-Spirit Complex itself is a qualitative or um, pretty, poetic, conceptual way of talking about seven chakra activity. Seven chakra activity <laughs> is also a poetic way of talking about um, logoic, vibratory harmonics, or harmonics of light. It's actually harmonics of light, intelligent energy itself. The seven goes to the two. Mm on the way to the one. Not only the seven to three to one, but also seven goes back to the two to the one. <clears throat> Actually, the three is the two. Oh, the three really is the two. Three is two. That's a big secret. Um, so, <clears throat> um, the, the roots of the penetration of veil in terms of principle is gestation or birth or development of green reactivity, love. So um, the way of piercing the veil is moving energy from the sub-diaphragmatic lower triad, one, two, three chakras, above the diaphragm in the body, um, you know, to the heart and above. So from the lower triad through the diaphragm to the heart, which is the green reactivity, that's that transit through the diaphragm is akin to the transit through the veil. And the nature of green reactivity is all compassionate love demanding no return. <clears throat> Giving, not asking, offering, expecting nothing, uh, all compassionate. And, um, you know, the Brahma Viharas um, in Buddhism um, express four qualities of green reactivity very well. <clears throat> so you have um, metta, loving-kindness, may all beings be well and happy. You have um, karuna, compassion, may all beings be free of pain. You have um, mudita, uh, sympathetic joy, which really means may all beings um, enjoy together. May all beings feel joy together, or I'm, um, I'm happy you're happy. And upekka, or peksha, upeksha. Uh, equanimity, may all beings live in peace, like that. And um, <clears throat> so, wishing all to be happy, or loving kindness, or friendliness, uh, compassion for others in pain, happiness for others um, in happiness, and um, appreciation of equanimity, calm, peace, and and um, valuing peace for you, me, and you. <clears throat> um, the more we value peace, the less um, you know, we fall into harsh speech or malicious speech. Malicious speech is, I want to hurt you with my words. And uh, that is cut off when we realize the danger, the harm done to self. 
uh, that the harm done to other is self-harming. And it's also cut down by appreciate, greater appreciation of peace, equanimity. It's very unpeaceful to uh, rant and rave and try to abuse people with words. It's also quite unpeaceful and disturbing, you know? It can be felt as very disturbing to curse, uh, to even, you know, fall into harf speech, which I often do. So if I appreciate equanimity more, maybe uh, harsh speech will uh, decrease. So, uh, but this answer is really quite deep, and so the the roots of penetrating the veil is the development of love, green, red. So, if you want to understand how to pierce the veil, understand what is love, what is green ray, and how to develop it. Then, from that comes um, activation of higher energy centers, meaning uh, blue, indigo, and contact with violet, or seven. The <clears throat> um, crystallization of, of four, five, six, particularly uh, the crystallized healer. <clears throat> the crystallization of the, the blue-green center, fifth ray, fourth ray, true mind, transpersonal mind, then one becomes an adept. And one through five becomes unified in a way it hadn't been before. That's the unified mind-body. That then um, becomes the chariot for the Atmanic charioteer in, uh, in the Ajna Chakra, or Ajna Six-Ray Chakra. Um, Atman in the the indigo Atman or Atman at the in the, in the Atman in the indigo ray six chakra becomes the charioteer driving the chariot of the unified mind body, which is the crystallized healer or at least a crystallized mind of love wisdom with lower triad blockage, mainly um, you know blockage mainly gone. The lower triad blockage mainly um, released. Um, so mind body becomes the chariot, Atman knowing one, um, living one, um, takes the reins as charioteer, and then the adept is born. Yeah, an adept is born. Then, within this adept, or being an adept, um, there is potential for dismantling the veil to greater or lesser extent. I mean, that's why, uh, you know, marks of enlightenment and awakening include knowing all past lives and knowing the minds of others fully, knowing karma profoundly. And of course, you know, this, is, this stuff just happens along the way before fourth stage awakening or complete and perfect enlightenment. Complete and perfect enlightenment is beyond one, <laughs> it's one returns to infinity, but um, along the path the veil is eliminated. And so, um, Ra is saying the other self is the primary catalyst in this particular path, but that's not really um, always the case. I mean, <laughs> how many worldly folks get complete and perfect enlightenment through relationship or being in society? Not many, I think. And how many, uh, compared to the, the number of uh, people, men and women, who go into a yogic path or spiritual practice and achieve multiple you know, levels of, of successive awakening alone, not as other self, as primary catalyst? More, it seems to me. So I'm not quite sure what Ra means, but you see their path in Venus, high on relationship or high... Uh, intensity of relationship as spiritual practice uh, was indeed other self as primary catalyst on their path. So relationship surely uh, enlightened relationship which means friendship or lovers or family life or group association affiliation all of that relational activity or relational um, life experience catalyst um, can be used to pierce the veil, but pierce the veil really is just another way of saying lower chakra blockage released, uh, blue-green center, uh, love wisdom, high development, crystallization balance, and um, 
increasing realization of unity and true being. Six seven. So uh, the path is the increasing piercing of the veil. Piercing of the veil equals continued polarization on the path. So uh, next time we're going to start at eighty three nineteen, and uh, we're still unveiling the veiling process, talking about how it was before. And Ra talks a little bit about Tarot, the, um, the complexification or making complex the um, mind-body-spirit system. And that'll pull us out through the whole session uh, discussing the veil. And and, and um, the way Catalyst is approached um, rightly, skillfully on the positive path, particularly now here under the veil, with this experience of veil. So, um, I hope it was useful. It was really quite deep. Uh, thank you very much. I hope you're well. Take good care of yourself, and see you next week. Good night.